Just as Jeremy introduced me, um, I've been a member of this church for about a year. Um, I actually graduated from the university just last May in the midst of the pandemic and moved back here for work. And finding a church was something I knew I ought to do, but something that I kept putting off week by week just because, you know, I'm an introvert by nature and I don't know, I can listen to sermons online and stuff. <laughs> but uh, before I knew it, two months had gone by and I had no Christian community uh, in this area. And um, I was driving listening to a sermon and the sermon I was listening to was talking about um, how important it is, it is for us as believers to have relationship with other believers. And um, one thing that the preacher said was that if we are in isolation, we are so much more vulnerable um, to be picked off by the enemy and basically just fall away from our walk with God. And when I heard that, I was really convicted and kind of scared, honestly. <laughs> so I pulled out my phone and just Googled churches near me. And then I saw the name Risen Hope and I was like, hallelujah, <laughs> Risen Hope. Like we have a Risen Hope in Christ. Like, I don't know, I was just so encouraged by the name. The website was pretty cool. So, <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll check this one out. So it was actually just about a year ago today that I pulled into this very parking lot um, with a lot of doubts, a lot of fears. Actually, um, when I was pulling in, I, I saw everyone, like, it was the first time that we had set up to do service outside and everyone was like gathered in a circle to pray. So uh, I came in kind of at an awkward moment <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, God, I, I want to leave. I want to, I should turn back now. I should turn back now. But I was already like in the driveway. So I thought it it was too late, so I, I, just, I just came in, and man, I'm so glad glad that I'm here. Um, now this place is kind of like family, so um, yeah, it, that's that's how I came to this church. Um, but anyways, uh, this over this past month or so, we've been doing this series as a church on togetherness, uh, especially coming out of this um, COVID-19 pandemic. Um, one of the things I've really loved about this series is that we've been starting to take communion together each week at the same time. Um, so what is communion? Communion is um, a remembrance of the gospel that has saved us. Uh, it's the sacrament where we take the bread, which represents the body of Christ that was broken for us, um, where Jesus died on the cross for our sins and in our place. If we take that together uh, to remember him. And then we also take this cup, which is the, um, the blood of the new covenant that um, he made with us that whoever believes in him will be saved and that when we believe in Jesus, we are truly born again and his spirit lives, comes to live within us um, to put his law in our hearts and we become transformed people. This is the gospel that has saved us and brought us together as his holy people. And um, so as Jeremy mentioned, I'll be talking about a topic near and dear to my heart, which is missions. And it's important to not forget what the gospel is when you're talking about missions because they're really one and the same thing. Um, if you're doing missions but not sharing the true gospel, then you're not really doing God's mission. You're just doing your own mission. So um, anyway, uh, missions wasn't always something that was close to my heart. Um, there was a long time where, to me, the idea of the salvation of all nations was just a theologically correct thing like, we should pray for that. That's, it's good to sing songs about that. Um, but through the work of God's life, or through the work of God in my life, it's something that has actually become the cry of my heart. Um, so uh, let's pray together and then we'll get into today's message. 
Uh, dear Lord, I give you all the glory. You are so awesome, God. Um, thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you for the word that you desire to speak to us. Um, God, I just pray that you make things clear as I speak. Um, I pray that you would lead all things and just help us to understand, um, help us to respond to you today. Um, help us to see you in a new way and to understand what your heart desires for us. Um, we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, so, we're talking about missions. Missions is actually not a word in the Bible. Um, so, but it's a word that we use a lot as Christians. We throw it around. So, we should talk about what missions is. And not just a, a dictionary, definition of, dictionary definition of missions, but a heart definition of it. So, for that, let's start off by turning our Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Um, as we turn there, so in Acts 4... Peter and John, who were just filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost a couple chapters earlier, and where the church was just born um, and being in community together, just in chapter 2. Um, at this time, Peter and John are brought before the elders and chief priests of the synagogue because they healed a crippled man in the name of Jesus and kept giving the credit to Jesus for doing it. Um, and when these chief priests asked him, uh, asked them by what power or what name that they did this healing, they kept insisting and proclaiming that it was in the name of Jesus that he was healed, and they proclaimed the gospel to uh, these these Jews. So in Acts 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, he says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is a really beautiful verse. And we should recognize that we Christians have been so blessed to hear the message of the gospel and to believe it. Now, we live in a time in a world that would say that, um, that there are many different religions and it doesn't really matter what you believe, but as long as you're a good person, as long as you're tolerant of what other people think, um, all, that's all that really matters in the end. This is something that the world would say. But this verse that we just read together clearly says that this is not the case. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved other than Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ. Only the name of Jesus can save us. So what does this mean for our friends and our family who do not believe? What does this mean for the nations of the world who have not heard the gospel or believed? This is a really terrifying question that we often don't want to think about. It means that on that day of God's judgment, those who are not in Christ will be condemned. They will go to hell. They will enter into the wrath that all of us were once destined for. And this thought should bring us to agony. This is something that's true for um, our families and friends and our local communities, the people who are near to us. But there are actually entire nations in the world who have never heard the gospel. Um, just last winter, I was able to go on a trip to Turkey, uh, which I'll be able to share about a little bit more during this message. And Turkey is a country that is 99.9% Muslim. Um, and there are, there are about 8,000 Protestant Christians in, in a land of a, with a population of around 85 million people. So if you do the math, if there was an unbeliever in Turkey who for some reason wanted to hear about Christianity, wanted to know the truth about Christ, he would have to meet around 10,000 people in order to find one Christian. <laughs> And that's if all the Christians were evenly dispersed and, you know, there's that, that kind of probability. But you can't, we don't, most of us don't even know 10,000 people. 
Um, so it's just so hopeless. These, these entire families and communities are just being condemned because they don't, haven't heard this message of salvation. There's another way that we can understand missions, and it's um, through the Lord's Prayer, actually. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus instructs his disciples on how they should pray. And um, he says this very famous verse, Matthew 6, 9, says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, is actually, uh, in essence, what missions is. Um, to help illustrate this, uh, there's kind of a funny example that I thought of. When we pray for someone's kingdom to come, it's actually a very radical thing to do. So let's say for a moment that I was actually a zealous patriot of Canada, and every day, um, or every evening, I would go to my closet and pray to the Prime Minister of Canada, and I would say, oh, Prime Minister of Canada, Please bring your government to the United States. Please bring your, your rule and reign to the state of Washington. This would be ridiculous. <laughs> and as Americans, when we hear this, we, we, we should be shocked and say, wow, what this person is talking about is, is warfare. Like, an invasion of the United States by Canada? Like, this is kind of crazy. But actually, in fact, missions is a form of warfare. Not physical warfare, but spiritual warfare. Missions is the spiritual warfare of bringing God's kingdom to this earth. And while as Christians we don't seek to subvert governments or to have military victory, we are citizens of a real kingdom, the kingdom of God, who live among people of this domain of darkness, the kingdom of this world. These are two opposite kingdoms that in the end are the only two distinctions of mankind that matter. And um, instead of a political government, God's kingdom is where the hearts of men um, uh, God's kingdom is with the hearts of men where his righteousness and his character and his glory are shown. In other words, his kingdom is his church. Um, so keeping with that analogy on warfare, uh, I once took a course on the history of warfare where we learned about a concept that historians have called total war. So before the 19th century, war was something that was mainly the occupation of militaries and kings. And, there, and at that time, there was a clear distinction between soldiers who fought wars and to do the will of their king, and then the normal everyday civilians. But over the turn of the 20th century, wars began to progress and become more intense in nature into what is now called total war, uh, which leads up to World War II. And in World War II, war was different in that it became the, uh, the preoccupation of an entire nation, not just a military all of a society's resources would become dedicated to supporting a war effort. If you were able-bodied, you would enlist. If you could um, do other things like sew or to make meals, you would offer those skills to make uniforms or to send rations. If you were um, able-bodied but you're not able to enlist, then a lot of people would work at coal mines to fuel the war effort um, through bringing, bringing out coal. And if people had metal objects in their homes, they would even offer those up so that they could be melted down and to be made into ammunition to support the war effort. Whatever capacity you had to help, you would give it in the name of supporting your nation. In other words, there was a deep solidarity and unity between the frontline soldiers and what became known as the home front. So as Christians, we are all called to pray the Lord's Prayer. And this means that we are all called to be engaged and um, involved in this work of mission. 
Um, but like I, uh, like I said, we're not fighting a human war. We're not fighting for the glory of a human nation. We're fighting for the salvation of souls. We're fighting for the love and righteousness of God to be made known on this earth against all powers of darkness and for the church of God to be planted. We're praying and fighting for the last remnant of every nation to believe and return to the Lord before that last day where Jesus comes again. And this is for the worship of his name. So we support missions um, either, keeping with the analogy of war, either from home or from the front lines. And in both cases, it's equally important for us to do this thing together. So um, we just read in Acts 4, so keep your hands there, but we're going to turn to Romans chapter 10 to illustrate this further. So in Romans chapter 10, Paul explains the gospel and then also explains the heart that he has as a missionary. Um, starting from verse 11, he says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him and Jesus will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Amen. This is the heart of a missionary. We preach the gospel and we live out the gospel in places where it's not so that we can bring the kingdom of God. Now, what I find interesting about this, um, this verse, uh, these verses where Paul's explaining his, um, his stream of thought is that he doesn't stop by saying, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Which is where I would have stopped. But then he goes on to say, how are they to preach unless they are sent? In other words, people don't just go to preach the gospel. In Paul's mind, there's no framework for that. People, you can't go to preach the gospel unless you're sent. And the reason for this is that the work of the Great Commission it's not the work of an individual, but it's the work of us together as the church. Paul just didn't have a concept of someone who went out to preach the gospel without being sent by his home church. Um, so turning back to Acts chapter 4, um, we see another example of how important it is, it is for us to be together um, when we're serving on the missions field. So um, in the missions field itself. Um, so turning back to Acts chapter 4, um, as I kind of explained the context already, Peter and John were under interrogation. They're kind of arrested by the elders and chief priests. Um, and what happened after they gave that famous verse that there was no salvation in any other name than Jesus Christ, um, the, the rulers of the synagogue uh, commanded them to cease speaking in the name of Jesus. It's great that they healed this guy, but do not speak in the name, in the name of Jesus. And they threatened them if they were to continue to do so. So picking up on that story, uh, starting in verse 23 in chapter 4, it says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, and they began to worship God. Um, skipping down to verse 29, they pray. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Amen. There's so many beautiful things to point out in this passage, um, in this picture that we see of the early church. The first is that after they were um, kind of beat up by these <laughs> rulers of the synagogue, they, uh, verse 23 says, as soon as they were released, they went to their friends. That was the first thought they had in their mind, was to go to their friends. And that shows the kind of place that other believers had in their lives. It says that they lifted their voices together to pray. It's very clear that these were not Lone Ranger Christians. Um, and in my opinion, I don't think they would have had the heart or the boldness or even the mental space to be praying such a prayer to God of, Lord, give us more boldness to proclaim your word, unless they were together. If they were just alone, if I was just alone, then I would have prayed, God, save me and help me to never get arrested again, <laughs> or something like that. So uh, it's so important for us as Christians to be dependent on one another when we're doing the mission of God. Now, this is something that I got to experience myself firsthand when I was on the missions field. Um, just last winter, I was able to go on a two-week mission trip to a uh, to country in Central Asia, Turkey. So there are many types of mission trips that one can go on um, in service trips. Uh, but for this particular country and in the places we were going, the people were uh, very well off physically, and their greatest need was really just to hear the gospel and to have a friend. So this trip was particularly focused on evangelism and um, meeting people to preach the gospel. Now, uh, this was the first time I had ever gone out to preach the gospel. And I don't know about you, but I've never had a problem being a witness for Christ if it just meant being a nice person. Like, I'm a very nice person. People don't um, generally like dislike me, but it's usually because I don't say anything very controversial or anything to like shake people up. Um, and uh, you know, so, so something that JT shared last week was about how important it is for us to do good works as Christians, which is so true. Um, but why is it so hard for us to share the explicit gospel? Well, it's because no one is going to reject you for doing a good work and then just leaving it at that. But if you do a good work and then you proclaim the name of Jesus, you are really rejected, or you are really risking the possibility of being rejected in, in the name of Jesus. So this is my first time, and uh, we started off on this trip. The first day was just focused on learning, the, learning a little bit of language, some small talk, some very basic gospel phrases, um, a little bit about the people. And then on the second day, they were like, all right, you guys are ready. You two are going to go to this part of the city. You two are going to go to this part. And um, here's some money. And there you go. <laughs> so they just sent us off like that, just like how Jesus sent out his, his disciples. So I got sent out with my friend Ray to a part of the city. And um, man, <laughs> you know, as, as romantic as it is to be talking about missions, it's really something else when you're out there on the streets and everyone's, you know, walking around doing their own thing. And you're just like, how are we gonna to talk to people? Like, I didn't think we were actually gonna do this. <laughs> so uh, him and I, uh, Ray and I, we walked around the town and uh, we came to this place where there's a storefront and uh, everyone was walking around. There was one guy though who was just on his phone leaning against the wall. So we were like, all right, this is the guy. We, we gotta start off somewhere, let's just do it. This is why we're here, we can't, we can't chicken out. Uh, <laughs> And man, this first experience sharing the gospel was just about as awkward as could be. <laughs> so we went up to him, and I, I was the one who had the best short-term memory, so uh, I knew like the language the best, so I had to do all the talking. 
Um, so we went up to him and I was just like, Medeva, which means hello. He's like, hello. And he just looks up from his phone and says, oh, hello. <laughs> and we were like, we're tourists. <laughs> How are you? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. And then we're like, all right, that was all the small talk that I, we can remember. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, kind of talking among ourselves, very awkward. Uh, so I just said to him, hey, can we share something with you? He's like, okay. Jesus really loves you. Okay. Uh, Jesus died on the cross for you and for your sins and rose again. That's as far as we got. And then his friend came out from the store that he was sitting in front of. And immediately the guy like was relieved and he looked to his friend and said, oh, these missionaries approached me. <laughs> and then he like, kind of like laughed, laughed at us. And then he looked at us and just like, waved and then just walked away. So it's kind of a funny short story to share. But in the moment, I was honestly very dejected um, and in despair. At that moment, all I could think about was, oh my gosh, I just want to go back to the hotel and just like stay there the rest of the day. This is the first person we talked to. We were supposed to be out there for another like four hours. <laughs> um, but thankfully, I was not alone. I had my friend Ray with me, and he has such an encouraging spirit. So he just said to me, hey man, this is why we're here. And it happens. We just got to let it go. We just have to shake off the dust and just keep going. And just hearing that voice of reason um, comforted me so much. Um, he prayed for me. We spent the next like 15 or 20 minutes just kind of like recuperating, <laughs> mostly me. And then because of his encouragement and his presence with me, we were able to continue sharing the gospel that day and throughout the whole trip. If it was not for him being there with me, I don't think I would have had the boldness or even thought to continue going. I would not have overcome my fears and feelings if my brother wasn't there with me. So to give a, a short plug about these short-term mission trip opportunities, um, I want to take a moment to talk about the program that allowed me to experience missions in this way. Um, one, of the most, one of the most formative experiences of my life has been this missions training program called Vision School that I took just last fall. Vision School is an eight-week missions training program where lay people and just normal people in the church are trained to understand God's vision and his heart in the Great Commission and then go out for a two-week mission trip like that to one of the unreached nations of the world. And now, even though not everyone is called to uproot their lives to become vocational missionaries, I think personally that every Christian should venture to go out on a short-term mission trip to the frontier missions field. And this is because there's truly no better learning experience to understand what God means by the Great Commission and how we are to depend on one another when we're doing God's work. And also for understanding how we're even to pray for and support missionaries unless we've ourselves gone through and experienced that. So Vision School will be starting again in September um, with mission trips leaving in December and January of this year and next year. So if you're interested, please reach out to me or uh, contact Pastor Jeremy and we'll be happy to get you some more details. Anyways, um, I've said that whether we're serving on the front lines um, like we are on the missions field uh, on, in those unreached nations or at the home front, it is, we are all commanded to participate in missions in a way that is unified and together. So I want to talk about now a few ways that we can be united in missions from home. One of those ways, and one of those ways is, is to support through prayer. 
So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this is a letter written by Paul. Sometimes we forget, but the Apostle Paul who wrote this book was actually a missionary himself. And he's constantly asking for prayers from the churches that he writes to. And in Corinthians specifically, Paul is very candid about his experiences that he has had to go through as a missionary. So um, in this this text, um, we read about what Paul and his team were experiencing when they were on a missionary journey to Asia. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 11, it says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. Amen. This passage gives a glimpse into what Paul struggled with as a missionary. And even though we don't know exactly what happened, it's very clear that he was very burdened. And this was likely due to um, spiritual warfare that he would experience as a missionary. Uh, Another example of Paul's requests for prayer is in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 6. So if we could turn there briefly. Um, In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is talking about that topic of spiritual warfare. Um, And it's to build up the church, but little do we know, at the very end of that section, he's asking them for prayer um, in that same line of thought. Um, So in chapter 6, he's exhorting the church of Ephesus, Ephesus to be strong in the Lord, to take up the whole armor of God, that they may stand against the powers of this present darkness. He ends his description of the armor of God in verse 18 by saying this, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. Even Paul realized his great needs for prayer. Sometimes we forget, but missionaries are just humans too. And they are our brothers and sisters at that. We all face fear, and none of us are impervious to be attacked by the enemy. And I think that those who are especially um, completely devoted to do the work of God are especially vulnerable to this kind of spiritual warfare. And we need to feel such an ownership of one another that we can pray for one another with this heart. So just as as another aside, um, I want us to encourage us on the topic of spiritual warfare to pray for one another in this this very church. Um, So there's a week a few months ago where um, I think I experienced some spiritual warfare that was more intense than I was used to. Um, I felt for a week that I felt very depressed and I even wanted to abandon the faith. And it came out of nowhere. I knew it came with this darkness that I could just feel was not normal. And I wasn't really sure what to do. So the next service, I um, pulled Pastor Jeremy aside after, after the message, and I just asked him, hey, Pastor, have you ever experienced spiritual warfare? And he looked at me so solemnly, and he said, every day, almost every day. 
I was really shocked to hear this because um, Jeremy is such a strong spiritual leader, and I've never questioned that. You know, he's he's doing fine. <laughs> that's, that's that's what I always thought. But um, like I said, those I think those who are who have devoted themselves completely to do the work of God are vulnerable to this kind of attack, and we need to be praying for them. Um, I think we should also remember uh, Nikki McKenzie, who will be starting a full-time assignment as missionaries as well, coming this next month. Let's keep them in our prayers as well for, for them and also the people who will come to serve as elders and deacons in our church. So that was about prayer. Um, there are actually a few opportunities that we have as a church to pray together regularly that we are already doing. So um, if you're not aware, Risen Hope actually supports a handful of missionaries who send us prayer letters from the field um, telling us how things are going and what they could use prayer for. Um, if you're interested in receiving those email updates, then you can contact Jacob, and he will send you up to that uh, prayer list. In addition, we have a weekly prayer meeting every Sunday from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. at the Risen Hope office, where we often pray for those missionaries, for one another, and for many other things. Um, so I encourage you all to be involved. God actually hears our prayers. We don't just talk to the ceiling. And when we pray and join in spirit with missionaries, we are playing a key role in fulfilling the Great Commission. Amen. Amen. So another way that we can be united with the missionaries um, is through provision for physical needs. Um, to give a scriptural precedent for this, we can look again at the book of Corinthians um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So here, Paul is ex explaining to the Corinthian church about the rights that he has as an apostle, um, but in this case, about how he has surrendered every one of those rights for the sake of the gospel. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 3, he says, This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and, eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? This is jumping to verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Jumping down to verse 13, he says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. We should note here that Paul did not write this to the Corinthians so that he could persuade them to give, them, give him a financial gift. Uh, in fact, his very next sentence was, I'm not writing these things to you to, <laughs> to secure any such provision. But he does endeavor to make it clear that um, those who labor for the Lord should receive their provisions in this way. Another passage that shows the um, beautiful partnership of giving is in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, in chapter 4, Paul responds to a financial gift that he received from the Philippian church um, that they sent to him. He says that he rejoices that they're showing such concern for him. And reading from verse 14 in chapter 4, he says, It was kind for you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus 
the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What I think is remarkable about this part of the letter is that Paul is not speaking about a cold donation, but he's speaking about an offering that's made in love. An offering that is full of concern for his well-being and an offering that is full of worship unto God. And in the same vein, Paul receives this offering with rejoicing and a prayer of blessing to those who gave it. Um, I think another thing to remember, especially for me as someone who just started um, working his first job out of college, um, it's good to remember that finances are actually, in the end, nothing but a tool. They're nothing but a resource. And I don't think there's any better use of a resource like money than to provide for, this, for the needs of saints and for our loved ones and to do good works. So we talked about supporting through prayer and supporting through um, provision for physical needs. One final way that we can be united in supporting missions is through simply having a loving relationship with missionaries. This is actually the heart that should flow through the way that we pray for missionaries and the way that we support them financially. As we've talked about today, missionaries often go through very difficult um, spiritual battles and opposition. And in addition to this, they often spend their whole days pouring out their hearts to unbelievers and also new believers to disciple them and grow them up in the Lord. And they just give themselves so completely to God's ministry. In this context, to have someone, um, if, if you were a missionary in this context, to have someone you know as a friend to call you up and just check, check in on you and ask, hey, how are you doing? Is there anything that you need? Are you eating enough? Are you eating three meals a day? <laughs> Are you sleeping enough? That, can, that kind of relationship can make a world of difference to someone who's um, been pouring themselves out. How easily we forget the simplicity of this kind of love. We are often prone to think that the primary way that we support missions is through financial donations. But in this mentality, it is easy for us to view missionaries as our own employees, rather than as our brothers and sisters who need us. We expect these missionaries that we support to reach out to us with progress updates, but we don't, offer, we don't even think to reach out to them, to offer them any kind of relational support. If at all possible, let us build true relationships and friendships with the missionaries that we support. And as we keep in touch, let's always be thinking to ourselves, how can I spur on this brother to the work of the Lord that he's doing? This is what togetherness in missions is. And in the end, it's essentially loving one another. Are there any missionaries that you know personally that you could reach out to and see how they're, how they're doing? I'm sure they will be very grateful for it. So as we close, uh, let's summarize what we went over today. Um, as a, in the series as a whole, we've been talking about how God desires us to be together in almost every area of our lives, whether it be in worship, in serving together, in serving one another, in serving our local communities, and then in supporting and uh, participating in global missions. We talked about how we are all called to take part in this spiritual warfare, which is the Great Commission, to proclaim the gospel in the whole world and to make disciples of all nations. We've read Romans 10, where Paul says that in missions there must be both goers and senders. This is togetherness in missions. We read in Acts 4 about how um, gathering together on the missions field gives us the boldness and endurance to overcome. This is togetherness in missions. 
we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 6 that we must pray for missionaries to withstand the schemes of the enemy and the powers of darkness that they face and so that they can have the courage to speak boldly for Christ. And when we pray for them, this again is us doing missions together. And then lastly, we read in Philippians chapter 4 about how on the home front, we are, provide, we are called to provide loving support to those who are on the front lines, whether financially or through friendship connections or um, through prayer. We are called to be united together in the cause of Christ, in, the God, in God's purposes in this world. And we cannot do this alone. I pray that the Lord would fill our hearts with such yearning, both to do his will in the Great Commission and also to love one another as we do it. Let's pray together. God, um, thank you so much for this word. God, I thank you that you didn't save us for, for no reason. <laughs> you didn't save us just so that we could go to heaven and have that kind of insurance. But Lord, you saved us with a purpose. You desire for our lives to be completely transformed and for us to walk in the good works that you have laid out for us. And God, I thank you that you have not had us to do this alone, but we are called to do this with the people that we are sitting together right here today. God, I pray that you would open our hearts to love our brothers and sisters who are here at this church and also to those who are supporting the cause, your cause of the Great Commission uh, in other parts of the world. Lord, I pray that you would lead us to take the next steps to respond to whatever you are asking us to do. We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.